On this episode of the Parent-Teacher Conference, we continue our series on what Disney has to teach us. Today's episode is on the Disney team. When you were young, did you play on any sports teams? I was a baseball player. And like most young boys, my favorite part about baseball was hitting. I always loved grabbing the bat, putting my helmet on, and taking that walk from the dugout, or in a lot of occasions when I was really young, just the, the bench we were sitting on, to the batter's box. I would bend over, grab a scoop of dirt, and this was something I did from a little kid right through my last days of playing college baseball. Take some dirt from the ground, rub it on my hands, put my right foot in the batter's box, my left foot outside, turn towards my coach in order to get the signals. Hoping that he wouldn't give the one I dreaded the most. The bunt sign. I mean, you only get a few at-bats every game. And your coach is telling you, I don't want you to get a hit here. I want you to bunt. So you get this anger over you. You're, the coach is taking the bat out of your hands. You look around at the field. You see there's a runner at first and second. There are no outs. You're down by a run in the last inning. You know that the coach is making the right call. But you don't want to bunt. You've been watching this pitcher. You saw the first two batters rip singles off of him. And you know that you can get the ball into the gap to win the game and be the hero. But the coach isn't asking you to be the hero to hit a walk-off double. He's asking you to bunt. He's asking you to give yourself up in order to place your team in a better position, have better odds in winning the game. Because baseball is all about playing the odds. So what do I do? Do I ignore the coach? Do what I want to do and swing away? Swing right through the bunt sign? Get that double, maybe? And be hailed as a hero and everything will be forgiven? Or do I do what the coach feels is what's best for the team? Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? FanSchool. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on FanSchool. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host. 
What we try to do on this podcast series is discuss ways we can be better teachers, better parents, for the sake of kids. And on this series of episodes, I'm discussing my recent trip to Disney and reflecting on what it can teach us about being better parents, better teachers, better people. And I'm not saying Disney does everything perfect. I think in this episode, I get into a couple of critiques of Disney. But I'm also going to get into a couple of critiques about different views in society here as well. So listen to the end of the episode because I would love to hear what you think about my thoughts. I mean, I'll be quite honest. What I'm going to go after here is both capitalism and progressivism. So, you know, sharpen those swords. And after you're done listening, please feel free to email me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. That's all one word. P as in parent, T as in teacher, C as in conference, podcast411 at gmail.com. You can respond to me on Twitter if you want to find where I post this podcast. It's at CoachCullen411. That's my Twitter handle. I also have the Parent Teacher Conference podcast group page on Facebook. But I would love to hear what you think about my critiques of both capitalism and progressivism. And you're probably wondering, how do I go from the Disney team to that? How am I going from Disney to those two? Well, capitalism kind of makes sense. Well, maybe even recently, some people would say progressivism, you know, woke ideology would as well. But before I get there, let me explain these series of episodes. My family and I, over the Christmas break, went to Disney. And as you're walking around, or probably more accurately while you're waiting online, you start reflecting about some of the things you see at Disney. And Disney does a lot of things right. They do a lot of things wrong, too. Well, the first two episodes, I think I really focused on what they did right. We talked about, in the first episode, The Happiest Place on Earth. We discussed how Disney creates this constant feeling, this strive for perfection, something that really doesn't exist. And I asked us to think about how do we do that in our own lives, providing for that in the classroom and in the home. The second episode is on the Disney way and how they try to make the experience for each guest one they will never forget. And how are we doing that with the people we come in contact with on a daily basis? And I brought up the golden rule, do unto others as they would have do on, as you would want them to do unto you. And this episode is on teamwork. And the first half I'm going to say, it's going to be very positive and things that we should be striving for. Now, in the beginning of this episode, I talked about the baseball player being asked to sacrifice rather than being the hero. What's best for the team? And the Disney structure, like a lot of company structures, like even a school structure can be, has this idea of team. My long time, the principal I worked under for the longest amount of time, I think it was like 14 or 15 years, he was a basketball coach, a a well-respected basketball coach in northeastern Pennsylvania. And you could see, as a coach myself and a player, I could see the ideas of team that he was bringing into the school, how he directed us. He knew that each teacher, like each player, needed something different to motivate us. He knew that each one of us needed to feel like we were an important part of the school, of those 
the student's school day. In order for us to excel at what we did and thus have the school excel and more importantly, have our students excel. I think that's the first thing as a parent or a teacher that we need. We need a goal. What is our goal? My principal always used to call, you know, he start off every faculty meeting with, how are the greatest teachers in the country doing today? And that might sound like a lot of fluff, and, and, and maybe it was. However, he treated you like you were the greatest staff in American school. So there was some reality to what he was saying in terms of how he treated us. Now, we may not have been voted that. None of us were winning awards nationwide. But we knew our principal believed that we were because he treated us like that. And I think Disney does that with their employees. For, you know, just the sheer fact that their employees are called cast members. And it doesn't matter if you're the guy sweeping the street or if you're singing in a show and you're the star of a one of those shows that they put on at one of the parks. All the roles by every cast member is vital in achieving the goal Disney wants to achieve, to be the happiest place on earth. The, the customers who come through the gates every day, they are your guests. And it's getting into that mindset that you're part of a team. It's not just about you. You're trying to make, you're, in a sense, you're trying to do something for someone else, the guests. You're trying to give them the best experience possible. Be it you're taking their money at a food stand or you're dressed up like a Disney princess giving two little kids a picture and signing their autograph book. You're all doing the same thing, the same goal, even though the part that you play in achieving that goal may be different. And I think it's important for us as teachers, first we'll go with teachers, to have a goal. I teach history. From year one, I've realized what's important for me to know is why am I teaching this? What do I want my students to walk away with? And it can't be that they know all these little vocabulary terms, these people, these events, maybe a little bit deeper of why it happens. No, I, I want something that envelops all of that. Like everything I do in the classroom, what is the goal? You know, I always say to my parents, my students' parents at the beginning of the year, that I teach early modern world history from the fall of the city of Rome, let's say, and the establishment of Constantinople to the start of the American colonies. It's a wide range. And I tell my students' parents, my goal for your child is that they have a better understanding of why the world is like it is. That, I mean, it's a simple goal. It's not like, why are we a democratic republic in the United States? Where, what is the foundation of our government? What roles do religions play? Because religion is throughout that time period as well with the rise of Christianity, of Islam, etc. How did trade, the, the desire for getting things you want, spark exploration and discovery? But all of that falls under why is the world like it is today? And the other goal is to 
reach the students where they're at, not where I'm at. I mean, I'm trying to move them along as they're middle school kids, so you want to move them from concrete thinkers to abstract thinkers, but I try to make my classroom, my approach, very middle school centric, right? There's a lot of buzz going on, a lot of games, a lot of laughing, trying to tap into that energy of the student into my classroom. Again, these are my goals. Then I look and say, how am I achieving those two main goals? What am I doing? Does, does this lesson, does this approach fit my goal? And if it doesn't, I should just move on. And I believe by having a goal like that, like asking yourself, what is the goal of my classroom? Your students buy in more. They, they recognize there's a purpose for everything that's happening. Even if that purpose is, this is for me, to make this class more enjoyable as a seventh grader, as a kid. This class is structured for me. As a parent, what are the goals you're trying to live by? I think that's an important question to ask. What are you trying to do in raising your kids? And it needs to be more than, I want them to have good jobs. There's a lot more to life than material wealth. So for me, a lot of it has to do with our Christian faith. We, you know, I've, I've been very open with this. If you listen to the podcast series, I, I am a Christian, and I believe that that is a greater purpose than myself. And I teach my daughters lessons on Christianity and how we should see other people, how we should see the world around us, how we should see the relationship with each other, how we see our relationship with God. There is a greater purpose beyond what we see so even our jobs like even when i work i believe there it's for a greater purpose that i work hard not just to be a better teacher but to glorify my god and that's something i strive for how are you expressing that if you're in a leadership position being a parent if you're an admin listening maybe you're a parent listening and you have a job where you have people under your employment under your charge. How do you do that? How do you make that worker realize that they're part of a bigger goal, a bigger picture? Even if their job seems to the most of the world mundane. A few days after Christmas was over, the Christmas rush was over, I happened to go to Walmart early in the morning to pick up some things. So I'm checking out and I heard on the announcement, can all employees who aren't working front end right now, the cashiers, come to the front of the store near the customer service. So that's basically where my checkout line was. And I saw them all gather. It was probably about 20 to 30 people. And the manager, you know, hey, let's start with a hand clap. And, and you think it's so trivial. But it kind of puts everybody, whatever they do, stocking shelves, running the customer service desk, whatever, it gets them looking around, seeing that they're part of a bigger picture. And then the manager set, started talking about the Christmas season because you know it was winding down. They had only a small table out of items they were trying just to get rid of, Christmas items. And he was just thanking them. He was saying, you know, from Thanksgiving until yesterday, I know it's our busiest time, but you handled it. You know, this store looked great. I mean, he was just praising them for all their roles. And they were clapping and cheering. You know, they realized that their effort was recognized. 
And I think go back to my story with my principal, how he would all, always tell us, even when you're individually talking, hey, how's the, how, you know, you always call me, how's the greatest social studies teacher in America? Well, we have several other social studies teachers, and I'm sure he said it to every single one. At, and like I said to you, but he celebrated you as such. He cared for you as such. And I believe this manager was saying that to his employees. And the sheer fact that it seemed like every single one of them was engaged and clapping and hooting and hollering every time he was lavishing praise and telling them how well the store was doing, that, that branch, it speaks volumes. Are you doing that? And if you're a parent, are you doing that for your kids? The other day, my daughter texted me. She, you know, it's midway through the year. You're starting to think about course selections for next year. And she wanted to go up a level in history. She wanted to take, she's in high school, so she wanted to go into a higher level history course for her sophomore year. And I have some concerns about that with her work ethic and can she handle it. And I just texted back, we'll talk about it at home. But I made sure I added a second sentence. I typed, I'm very proud of you that you're challenging yourself. And she wrote, you know, she texted back the little heart sign. It, it doesn't take much. All you need to do is express your authentic feelings for your children, for your students, for your employees. Are we doing that? I used to coach baseball. My assistant coach for years was the longtime band teacher at the school. He was there from the school's opening in 1972. And he mentioned something that he really missed. And he said, the last day before Christmas break, the business administrator would come over to every school and hand deliver the check, the last check for December with a little candy can attached to it. And he said, you know, it wasn't much. She would walk in, shake hands with you, say, happy holidays. I hope you have a great break. Here you go. But it was just nice to be recognized. And I think sometimes we lose that when it comes to capitalism. Here it is. Here we go. Get ready for the ride. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in all the economic systems. I, I do believe that free markets, when done properly, are is still the best method to exchange out of what out of what you have for what you need for mutual self-benefit makes a lot of sense. You're not being coerced. Are there problems with it? Yeah, there, I'm not. There, no system is perfect, but. Like I said, the free market exists in the each cafeteria in your schools. But I think a change has taken place where we think in, that in all things, the ultimate goal is the bottom line, is the money. I think you can see that in Disney. It's, it's taken a lot of hit recently. People will tell you because everything's about nickel and diming you. And that wasn't Walt Disney's way. He wanted you... You know, you're going to freely give up your money to have, and they were going to provide for you a tremendous experience. That's that's my understanding of the free market in action, right? But now Disney, in order for you to get that tremendous experience, they're nickel and diming you to the point that we stayed on site. We stayed at the French Quarter, Port Orleans French Quarter in Disney, and we had to pay for parking. We had to pay this 
What hotel makes you pay for the parking in their hotel? But you had to pay for each night of parking at Disney. Just nickel and diamond. Because the bottom line became more important than the experience of the guests. My dad said that. He worked in a factory. You know, just a typical factory worker. And the company he used to work for was family-owned and operated. And much like the band teacher I just talked about, he would share how often the owner of the company would come down to the plant floor and just walk around and shake hands with the guys who are running the machines and thanking them for their the hard work. And he, they weren't getting any more money. They were just being recognized that they were part of the team, that what they did mattered. And he said, what, when it changes when the family sold and it became more, you know, more of a true corporation where you had a board of directors, that they were only concerned about the bottom line, that the, the guys and gals who worked there in the factory, be it on the machine floor to the offices, like the, the foremans and the office managers, etc., were no longer people, were no longer individuals, which the owner would always make them feel like. He knew their names. Now, the employees didn't even know who the owners were because there's probably about 12 of them who meet like four times a year to decide their fate. And it was never about them as individuals anymore. It was about them as dollar signs. And if you're a strong capitalist, you should see the problem in this because if you're against communism, the idea of communism is that you purely exist for the good of the state. But in this form of capitalism, you only exist for the good of the company. Is this thing for the good of the country or for the good of the company? There really isn't a difference. And even the thing about Disney where they're making you pay for things like parking and they're nickel and diming you. You exist for them just to get your money. And I think my understanding of Walt Disney is that's not what he wanted. He wanted you to walk away with a tremendous experience. You were... Even though he may never have gotten to know you, he wanted you to truly experience the happiest place on earth. So you could walk away with a big smile and he was glad to provide that for you. You're more than just a dollar sign. So how do I pivot now to progressivism? Because as I was preparing this, I realized the idea of identity, the group you fall, in, fall into, the tribalism, is the same exact thing. It's just not dealing with dollar signs. Maybe it's dealing with more something more esoteric, something more meaningful. Okay, sure. But you're still not treating people as individuals, as who they are. You are stereotyping them as their ethnic group, their race, their gender, their gender identity. And that's a horrible way to make a decision. Because you're are you truly, you know, we have this all this thing for equity. Is it really equitable? If you're making a decision for one of my children in a school based on their skin color. No, it isn't. You're doing the same thing. It's just you're trading dollar sign for some difference that you can put them in a little box in and say, hey, we're helping out everyone in this box or the majority in this box or we've improved their stats. I'll give you an example. So the school district where my children go to school, the... High school have, again, different levels, right? 
So they had a level of English for low students, kids who needed that help. When they looked at the stats, a lot of minority students were in those classes. Without saying it, but they really were, they were chalking it up to the teachers weren't recommending kids for a certain these certain classes because of racism. Now, that's a bold assertion. Did they investigate more than just looking at the stats? I, I think you can't make that conclusion or even allude to it unless you truly look at, investigate. Just by looking at the stats doesn't, just gives you numbers. And one of their points of contention was when they looked at certain scores on standardized tests, you had a number of minority students who were scoring as well, if not better, than non-minority students who were being placed in the higher level classes. But these students were in the lower level classes. Now, they did this without any explanation of the teachers. They just assumed inequitable, racist, you know, throwing out all the terms of modern progressivism. We have to get those stats up to make it look good. But what does it matter if you look good if you're not doing good? Because here's the thing. I would stand in line with you if it's truly that they were denying kids spaces in those higher level classes based on the color of their skin. I would be standing in line with you fighting it. And the reason I would be is because my children are children of color. You know, if you've been listening long enough, you know that my wife and I adopted two biracial children and they're the love of our lives, our two daughters. And I would absolutely be against that they're being deprived of advancement and challenges just because of the color of their skin. Not because of the color of their skin, however, because they deserved it. They, as individual, earned that spot, and you're denying them that. So what they did was they eliminated the lower-level class. Now their stats look great. There are no minority students in the lower-level class because it doesn't exist anymore. They're all in college prep. But what about the kid who wasn't scoring well on the test? What about the kid who needed maybe the slower pace, the modifications that were made in that classroom in order to help them to grow and to better themselves? You just put them in a higher-level class where they're going to drown. And what reasoning? Their skin color. How is that justice to that kid? That's an unjust method. Again, when the stats come out, it's gonna look good. But did you do good? Did you do good by that kid? Whereas the problem with capitalism is that we look at people as dollar signs. The identity politics of progressivism, we look at people of stereotyped caricatures and we make decisions based on that. Both are wrong. Treat people as individuals. Give them what they've earned. Give them what they need. I mean, there's equity in a nutshell, right? Give to them what they've earned. Give to them what they need. Now, I'm making this podcast on the weekend before MLK Day. And you think about Dr. King and his famous quote that has a lot of meaning for me because of who my children are, how people are choosing to look at my daughters. They're seeing them first through the color of their skin, 
rather than on who they are. And here's the quote, and you know it. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That hope of Dr. King's is what I want for my daughters. Because the color of their skin is skin deep. The identity that you see is only a small part of the complexity of who they are. Get to know my daughters. Get to know other people. Stop seeing them as dollar signs or stereotyped caricatures. Now, I started the podcast talking about baseball, and I'm going to end with a baseball story, which I think is a really neat one. If you're going to buy a baseball mitt, I would highly recommend a company called Nakona. They're all hand-stitched. They're great quality. They last for years. You just got to keep, you know, you got to do your little upkeep, but they're just quality mitts. Nakona, N-O-K-O-N-A. They're made in Texas in the United States. I think about a decade ago or maybe over a decade ago, the Nakona plant burned to the ground. It put all their employees out of work. It was going to be maybe a year to two years before everything was up and running and they were creating baseball mitts again. It was a family-owned business and they had a decision to make. What do we do with these employees? Do we say, hey, we understand, you know, we have valued you as employees. You have made us the company that we are today, but we're not going to have a job for you for two years. So if you need to walk, walk, get a job for yourself. Do get something to provide for your family. But they didn't want to lose them. They were valued. They, they recognized their value in creating these mitts. So what they did that even though they were producing no mitts, they figured out a way to continue paying their employees while they were creating zero mitts. Because the owners of Nakona didn't see dollar signs when they looked out onto their factory floor. They saw teammates playing a role in helping the Nakona team make quality baseball gloves. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Podcast 411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply.